This is HOPE, Behavioral Health and COVID-19 from Health Management Associates. I'm Annalisa Baker, your host, a senior consultant at HMA, a licensed clinical social worker, and a proud lifelong New Yorker. Coming up later, we talk about engaging with clients with empathy over the phone with HMA principals, Dr. Jeff Ring and Dr. Gina Lasky, nationally renowned clinical psychologists in culturally responsive healthcare and behavioral health. This is a series we're creating specifically for you, New York's behavioral health providers. You're the heroes on the ground, serving our most vulnerable populations in the middle of a pandemic. We'll try to support you with quickly digestible, timely, practical advice and information. We created this for New York, the pandemic epicenter, but we think this information will be valuable to anyone in the behavioral health field. In the coming weeks, you'll hear from behavioral health leaders and learn how they're modifying services and operations. You'll discover how to adapt clinical strategies for telehealth and how to best engage with clients and staff. We'll look at successful operational strategies to support your organization, including policies and procedures and cross-sector collaboration. Behavioral health providers in New York right now are experiencing crises related to the clients they serve and possibly within their own social and family circles. In this episode, I talk to our experts to help behavioral health service providers, care managers, and other client-facing behavioral health staff with strategies to help them personally cope, effectively engage with clients, and promote and maintain resiliency in this challenging time. Dr. Ring is a champion for healthcare practitioner vitality and creative approaches to self-care and wellness enhancement. Dr. Lasky has expertise in public sector behavioral health system design, leadership, programming, and clinical supervision. Our focus for this conversation is engaging our clients with empathy over the phone. Let's bring in Gina and Jeff. Gina, can you talk a little about how this current crisis shifts the focus for client engagement with their behavioral health providers? One of the things I've been thinking a lot about is that the world is very much the same, despite the fact that we feel like everything is different. One of the things I would say in terms of empathy is just calling out and reminding ourselves of going back to the basics. For each of us individually, we're trying to figure out how to go back to the basics. How do we think about routine? How do we find pleasure? How do we manage anxiety? And really that's the same experience that everyone's having, our clients, our supervisees, our colleagues. And so really trying to focus on going back to the basics. I think we tend to feel that everything has changed and so our work has changed. And in reality, the format has changed, but the work is the same. So helping people, delivering empathy, and really providing skills-based work, right? Reminding people of their routine, helping them find pleasurable activities, helping people learn to self-soothe. These are all the things we do every day in our uh, behavioral health field, but we might feel like it needs to be different right now. So I would just say, be grounded a little bit in that the world has not completely changed and go back to the basics. I so resonate with this idea of going back to the basics. And I'm going to go really back to the basics about what is empathy and what is its basic sort of primal role in human connection. When you think about initial attachment between a parent and a baby, the baby's crying. So what does the parent do? They lean in. They try and watch and see and hear what it might be that's causing the distress. We don't know, but we empathize and it builds in this sort of nurturing of one another. The empathic response, it's the opportunity to 
not only try and figure out what's going on with somebody else, but to try and articulate what it is that we're hearing from them or seeing with them. And then we can check out whether or not we're, we're accurate or not. The act of leaning in and being curious and paying attention to the verbal and the nonverbal and expressing what it is that we're seeing in another human being, that's really the, the empathy piece. And it is more challenging, I think, via text, <laughs> via telephone, even via video compared to real life sitting next to one another. I was just thinking, I can hear someone in my head saying, yeah, I agree with that, but I feel like I'm supposed to have all the answers. So how do I lean in and listen to the grief and the sadness and fear of, and all of the emotions that we have right now? I, I think another piece of our empathy is to be really authentic with one another, that we all feel a little bit more helpless at the moment, maybe a little bit more like we're supposed to have all the answers. And I think sort of like that new parent, it's embracing I don't really know exactly what you need or how I'm going to fix it, but I'm present and I'm authentic about that, but I don't have all the answer. It's not that the therapists aren't having the same experience. And I don't think that we have to pretend that we are. When you do clinical work, how do you navigate those two kind of divergent roles, Gina, the the part of you that really wants to give an answer, a suggestion, a skill, a tool, a fix it, versus the part of you that's um, just sitting with someone in the intensity of their experience. Often I go back to the idea, you know, in motivational interviewing, they talk about writing reflex so that we as healthcare providers have that reflex to fix, to have the solution, to give the medication. Sometimes it's just having awareness that that's coming up and taking a step back and remembering that really people's answers come from them. For me as a provider, it always helps me go back to skills-based, right? So how do I empathize and engage and acknowledge? And then how do I think about how to give someone a skill here? Actually, in times of huge crisis like this, the objective is less often to fix it or find an answer or try a new behavior. I think it's much more about facilitating exploration, that empathy and empathic responding the use of feeling words really, we hope, will facilitate somebody peeling the onion, thinking and thinking more deeply, feeling and feeling more deeply. What is this new and incredibly invisible and threatening state of being? So I really love what you both talked about in terms of bringing it back to basics and remembering that we are centered in the skills that we were all trained with and bringing those skills forward to the clients that we're continuing to engage. But how do you do that over the phone? Because now it's all about telehealth. And in the middle of this crisis, we can't see the people that we normally saw in person on a regular basis. I love uh, Elizabeth Morrison out on the West Coast talks about narrative skills and narration skills. I think they're extraordinarily important, particularly right now. When we're not able to see one another and there are awkward gaps, she says, narrate them. So for example, saying, oh, I wish that we were sitting together because you would see right now on my face a huge smile because I'm so pleased that you're here and that we're talking together and that you're doing and engaged in this really important but difficult work. Or if you were sitting here with me right now, you would see my shoulders just drop because I'm really hearing and feeling with you how scared you are, 
how worried you are and, and how exhausted you are right now. So I, I would really encourage all of us working in a new modality to do what we've always done, but add in a more frequent use of descriptors and narration. I think that's a great concept. I love that idea of narrating sort of the silence, narrating the expression and the emotion. I think it's also okay to do more checking in and asking questions. So, you know, you say something and there's dead silence on the other end. In the room, you can use visual cues to help you interpret that silence. I think now we have to narrate in the same way, but ask. I hear this silence and I'm wondering, did what I just say not fit for you? Are you thinking? Do you have questions? So using your skills in a different way and feeling okay about just being very open and honest, transparent, or really present in the moment. So checking in and allowing them to say, I didn't like what you just said. Great. Let's explore that. Tell me why. Help me understand. All the things you would do in the moment that you may not have the cue to do, but you can still ask. They'll tell you. Are there times where narration might not work? Maybe it's like, it's going to take me a moment here. I'll be, I'll be quiet. Or, or I think more, more powerfully to say, I'm not going to say anything for a moment. I just really want to think about what you just said. I just need to, to chew on this for a moment. What a gift. What a gift of generosity, of attention, of focus, of listening, of honoring the other person in this shared exploratory conversation. One of the things I would say about transitioning to the phone is, again, it's less different than you might think it is, but it is also role modeling. So role modeling and being open and honest about, you know, this is new for me too. I feel a little awkward, or if, especially if you're on video camera, hey, I'm still getting used to watching myself talk. I might need to giggle at something or laugh at something as the dog goes by in the background or whatever's happening, right? We need to be sitting with it and be empathic, but I think we also need to help find the humor in the day-to-day, -day, find the humor in ourselves, and even in the awkwardness of doing something new. So here's how I've gotten more comfortable looking at myself. Here's how I've gotten more used to being on the telephone, sharing some of those techniques and skills, but not shying away from being part of it. We don't have to be the experts in everything. We've never been through COVID before. We've never had this kind of upheaval in our lives. We've never homeschooled and worked and cooked and cleaned and everything in the same environment. It's okay for us to acknowledge that and share our own experience because that could be helpful. But it also makes us more engaging. I start to smile. As I'm sitting in this phone conversation, I look over, I see my puppy sound asleep on the on the bed, it makes me smile. And it makes me think again about, huh, what is this place where I'm sitting and talking to you from? And how have I created this space? What is in my environment that will help sustain my warmth, my humor, my mindful presence? And I really want to invite our listeners to, to think about that. From where are you working? What is your space? And how does that space contribute to your presence? to your stamina, to your open-heartedness, to your welcoming of the warmth of humor, as well as the ability to stand shoulder to shoulder with, with terrible sadness and grief and loss. You know, Jeff, I love that example, because if I was talking to you and I was trying to think about teaching you skills or trying to be helpful, that example you just gave is a perfect pleasurable activity, right? It's a good example of self-soothing, 
It's a good example of finding pleasure. So there might be ways for us actually to use this sort of introduction into people's homes, the introduction into their more quiet spaces as a way to actually understand our clients better and help them leverage what they're already naturally doing more concretely as skills. I imagine it's going to take time to get used to the quiet spaces and maybe accept that some of it may be our client's reluctance or resistance. Well, I think one thing is to embrace the resistance. I mean, one of the things that comes to my mind right off the bat is not to force the format. Would it be easier for them to text you? Would they have a short text back and forth with you about how things are going? And that may not turn into a billable service, but it might be a way of engaging them and helping them get to the place of having a phone call. I think the other thing is to allow people to have shorter phone calls, right? Maybe 15 minutes is all they can take. So being less rigid about the format, the structure, being open and explore that resistance. What is it that they don't like? What feels overwhelming? What can you do to make it any different, right? Is it the time of the day? Is it that they can't find a location? Could they go outside? Could they go for a walk? Brainstorming and exploring that resistance in the same way we do whenever we come into challenges or barriers with folks is it's usually that's a place where we need to be more empathic and just understanding and find out what it is instead of trying to guess it from our end. And I think on the practitioner side, there is an opportunity to develop some kind of ritual that helps us close up the work of a previous phone call and opens us to the new possibility of the next call. My friend who's a family doc talks about how when she washes her hands in between seeing patients, it's kind of a cleansing momentary bringing in to the moment kind of experience. I also have heard of the practice um, of every night writing down just a sentence about the most interesting client I worked with today. Hey, I wonder if the next phone call will actually be the most interesting phone call of the day. And with that, leans in with a new kind of intentionality and presence. Thank you so much, Gina and Jeff. You've given me so much to think about, even in my own day-to-day. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our behavioral health listeners? I think right now is a time to trust yourself and to worry less about getting it right, having it perfect, understanding exactly what everybody needs, being able to meet the wave of grief or anger or loss or whatever it is that's coming at you. And just realize that this is a very human experience. We don't really know what's going to happen. We don't know how to do it right. But you have a lot of skills. You have a lot of good instincts. And also remember, we've never had the power to fix the things that have happened to our clients in their pasts or what's going to happen to them in the present. You have a lot of training and you have to just trust yourself right now and do the best that you can. I would invite our listeners to remember the power of the feeling word. I think there's a drought of feeling words and I think that they are more important than ever in the counseling that we do. Feeling sad, feeling worried, feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling terrified. You're feeling alone and isolated. You're feeling optimistic. You're feeling hopeful. You're feeling better. You feel relieved. Whatever that emotional tone is that you're hearing, I really invite you to lean in and do your best to put it into adjectives and feeling words. I know that is really good for the 
the client, but I also think it's good for us. I think that moving that conversation to that very precious human emotional space is good for us as well. Hope, Behavioral Health and COVID-19 is produced by me at home with my kids in the next room. You can follow HMA on Twitter at HMA Consultants, and you can find us on LinkedIn. Find out more about HMA podcasts at healthmanagement.com forward slash podcast. My name is Annalisa Baker. Stay strong, New York. Thanks for listening.